a UK cover has so much butt in it, like just a weird amount of butt. So many crevices and curves and fact that like her butt doesn't factor like heavily into the story. That's pretty misleading. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to be read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona and Kareen from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Keep It Fictional podcast from the Port Moody Public Library, where us, your fellow book lovers, talk about the things we love the most. Books. Now, they say that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but that is pretty much what we're going to do today. I have my art judgment beret on, and we are here to talk bad covers for good books. I am joined, as always, by my fellow book friends, Virginia. Virginia, what to you makes a bad cover? Already? (laughs) Already, I'm putting you on the. I'm putting you on blast. What makes something bad, Virginia? A bad cover. I think it's a cover that is different from the tone of the book. To me, that's so annoying. When it promises me a different kind of story, when it promises me a different sort of feel to the story, and then when you read the book, you're like, that's not what this is. So that to me is a bad cover. I also have trouble with like eye stock photo covers. Those are already also very, very annoying. So those are probably, for me, two things that make a bad cover. Mm-mm. You just hate lies, Virginia. You hate lies. Yeah, I do. I do hate lies. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. We are also joined by Sadie. Sadie, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Now, for you, Sadie, what's a bad cover? Ooh, I think like super stereotypical covers I really don't like. Um, So if you have a romance that has like that stereotypical man without his shirt, woman kind of fawning all over him, I, I really don't like that. I find that and I will talk about this a bit more because mine, um, the cover that I'm going to be talking about is a bit like this, where they just have a female identifying person on the cover of a book standing in some sort of provocative or sexy pose and that is supposed to represent the book as a whole. Um, so similar to Virginia, it, I, I don't feel like it is representative of what is inside the book. So that bugs me. And it just feels like they are using that image of that woman to draw in someone. I don't know who, but to draw in someone. Interesting. Very thematic, Sadie. Like you don't love a bodice ripper cover whether that bodice be made of like cotton shift or whether it be made out of leather. No, no, don't. No. I don't. All right. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, Fiona, welcome to Bad Covers, Good Books. Now for you, Fiona, we know that you are of an artistic inclination. You're crafty. You love a graphic novel. So what for you makes a bad cover? Yes, that's a great point. Um, because for me, I love like books that have 
art of a person on the cover, but I hate real life photos of people if it shows their face because it just gives you this very specific idea of the characters and then you don't get to imagine them for yourself. Whereas if it's a drawing, it's a little bit more like you can interpret it. Interesting. Now, do you feel the same way for like kids books, graphic novels and adult books that you just don't love, don't love a real face? That sounds like a weird thing to say. (laughs) I think the only reason to put a real face on a book is if it's a biography. Ooh, okay. Yeah, but I'm actually going to get into this more because um, I'm going to talk about a book that has a uh, like a portrait on the cover, which is my favorite, but not a photographic portrait, but uh, a painted portrait. What about color palettes, Fiona? You forgot about color palettes. Oh, we'll get into that. Color palettes matter. That's actually my number one thing for a good cover, but we're not there yet. Okay, okay. We, we've got a tantalizing glimpse into what Fiona is going to be talking about today. Now, Liz, Fiona mentioned a memoir. For you, uh, is it acceptable or unacceptable to n- not have the face of the person that the memoir or biography is about on the cover? I think it's fine, as long as it's not an ugly cover. I don't like ugly covers in general. I don't like misleading covers. I don't like low effort covers. Ooh. So, okay. You don't like ugly covers, Liz, but what to you is an ugly cover? That's so subjective. I mean, I've got my art beret on. Let me have it. Right. Right. Okay. Well, um, I don't have my art beret on today. However, I will say an ugly cover comprises a poor color palette, (laughs) poor tones. um, And let's see. Yeah, just not fitting the genre of what's inside the book. Interesting, interesting. So everyone here hates lies, hates lies. And I mean, that is a really important, you know, what the book cover is there to do. It's to sell you on what the book is about, to sell you a little bit of the story. So I am very, very curious to get started to see what books we are going to champion that we think you should pick up despite the cover. Yes, Virginia? Wait, you haven't answered the question yet, Miss Corrine. Oh, like uggos. Don't like an uggo. You know, they're ugly. They're ugly. I mean, I only read books with good covers because, you know, it's all part of the aesthetic. When you're sitting on the Sky Train, you want to make sure that you have a book that matches your outfit, that matches, you know, what you want people to think of you. Very important. Um, I think that that match between what the book is about and what the cover is, is really important. And font choice. Font choice is key, is so key. If the font does not match what the book is about, then you might as well just bin it. Anyways, um, so this has been like a lot of free marketing tips for booksellers and cover designers. You do a very, very important job of making sure you get those, those books into the hands of the readers. But we are going to try and hand sell you today some books with covers that we, how shall we say, don't love. We don't love. And again, as Liz very rightfully pointed out, art is subjective. What is ugly in the eyes of one person is beauty in the eyes of the other. So we'll have to take a vote after each book to let to see if we all think it's an ugly cover or not. Because I've been watching a lot of reality television show and I love a vote. All right. Why don't we start with Virginia? Virginia, what is your bad cover? 
All right. Um, so this one is actually really tough. I was stressing out about this topic for like many, many weeks because like, because it has to be a good book, right? That was like sort of the other easy to find bad covers, hard to find good books and bad covers and all together. So that was tough. So what I end up picking is one of my pet peeves about covers is the fact that when a publisher publish a book, they have this hardcover cover and it looks fine, whatever it is, it's usually good because they spend a lot of time doing the first run. But then for some reason, when they release the paperback or the tray paperback, which has the exact same dimensions and aspect ratio, they decide to change it to something usually uglier, usually more generic. I think generic is probably the right word. And no, I don't know anything about like marketing books or anything like that. I'm assuming that they are trying to maybe appeal to a different audience. I don't know. But sometimes I'm just like, why? Why do you turn a perfectly serviceable, even good cover into something generic? Why do that? I don't get it. So that drives me crazy. So today, that's how I pick my book. I'll first show you the hardcover copy. Uh, the book I'm talking about is called Crosshairs, and it's by Catherine Hernandez. And that, to me, is a good, striking color cover that is bold and I think really matches when we talk about the tone of the book. It's unapologetic. It's just in your face. And that's kind of what the story is about. It demands you to pay attention to it, just like this cover. But unfortunately, when they decide to do the trade paperback version, and I, I feel like they even maybe release them at the same time. I don't know. They decide to go with a cover that is super generic. I mean, it's not like it's ugly or anything, but it's just like, what does this do? This does not draw my eye at all to the book. If it was in a sea of books at our library on the display, I would never have picked this book up unless I'm actually looking for this book in particular. I'll never pick this book out, out of all the other ones because it just looks like every other book. And I don't know what this book is about at all. It looks like some realistic fiction, maybe. I don't know. Like it doesn't try to be anything at all in my mind. So that is very disappointing. And so because of that, that I have chosen today at my bad cover book. But covers aside, this is an amazing book and it is Canadian, my candid contribution for the month. And uh, Catherine Hernandez, she is a proud queer woman of color and she identifies as Filipino, Spanish, Chinese, and with um, Indian heritage. And she, I feel like, is kind of the perfect person to write a story that really talks about what life is like for what in the book called The Others. If we continue on the road where we just stay quiet, where we stay passive and not stand up to make sure that everyone in our society is seen, especially people who are marginalized. And I personally, as you probably all know, prefer fiction, like strong preference over nonfiction. But this book to me is such a strong educational tool. It teaches me what it is like to not just what, what the, the experience is like to be the other, but maybe more importantly, what allyship really means and what we can do as an ally, not just as she pointed out in the book, 
put something up and say, oh, Black History Month. That is not what being an ally is about. And, and she is using her story to show us how important it is. And I think it is just such a great teaching tool, I think, for anyone who wants to learn to be a better ally. So the story takes place in Toronto, and it is sort of in the near future. But again, because of the way her story is written, it could happen anytime now. And and she's basically saying that it could happen like any day. And if we think, oh, well, you know, all that stuff that is going on, like that's like American, that's in the States. Well, Catherine Hernandez is saying, think twice. It's totally could be in Canada, especially when it has happened in our history. So don't think that for some reason we are Canadians, we're better. We are not. We are totally not. And so in this story in Toronto, this has happened after a bunch of massive floods throughout the country, and it has caused a lot of destruction. And it's, it's kind of a dystopian story, but it's not to the point where like there's no food and it's not at the point where everything is like just destroyed. It's not quite there yet. The cities, the infrastructure, a lot of it is still there. However, because of all the floods, there's starting to be food shortages. Resources are really scarce. And when people feel that, oh, oh, you know, you look around like, you know what? Maybe they, one day there won't be enough for me. Then a lot of human ugliness, the things that maybe in normal times might stay hidden and bury like a lot of the attitudes, they kind of rear its ugly head. So in Canada, the government, the prime minister started to talk about, we need to protect the people that we consider to be true Canadians. We need to make sure the true Canadians have what they need. We need to make sure we help them. And in doing so, they're thinking, and there are a lot of these other people and they name them the others. So we're talking about people of color. We're talking about the indigenous community. We're talking about the LGBTQ community, the disabled community. All of them are the others. They don't pull their weight. They are here and they always need more from us and they are not doing their part to contribute to society. So not only are they just like in the States, uh, kicking out a lot of people and ejecting them from the country and trying to get rid of them. They have this, what they call the two countries, one vision policy along with the States. And that's kind of all the things that they do to make sure that true Canadians, they are the ones who deserve things from the government. And not only that, the government decided to pilot what they call the renovation project. This is a project that they're trying to sell to the international audience and saying that, you know, we are trying to provide food. We're trying to provide housing. We are trying to provide a job for the others. We're trying to give them something, but also at the same time, making sure that when they are there, they are also working. They're also contributing to the society. We're giving them opportunities. And that's how they're trying to sell this to the international partners. But that, of course, is not the case. These are not them trying to help the others out. These are actually concentration camps. These are actually forced labor camps. And a group called the Boots have been 
established by the government. These are all government sanctioned. And they are named after the boots, basically, that they used to kick open the doors and drag the others out to round them up, put them on trucks and send them away to these camps. And this is basically a big genocide campaign. And there's evidence of that. But of course, you know, like what they're trying to do is trying to say, oh, no, we're, we're just helping. We're helping them. Look, look, we're giving them food. What more do they want? So under these circumstances is our protagonist, Kay. Kay is a queer Jamaican Filipino drag queen. And right now he is hiding in a closet in a woman called Liv's house. And we learn about his story through a letter that he's kind of writing in his mind to the love of his life, Evan. He doesn't know where Evan is. He doesn't know if Evan is even alive, but he's telling Evan his story to pass the time. And we learn what his life was like before, what his life is like now, and what he's gonna be going through. And even though this renovation project seems like it's coming out from nowhere, the underlying values have always been there. Why this can happen, like Kay will tell you, like he experienced it every day. The kind of racism, the kind of intolerance, attitudes, the kind of insults, all of that he experienced as a queer biracial person every single day. And it was only until he start to perform as a drag queen and such learn how to be seen, learn the confidence to be out there and not just be seen, but demand to be seen, to understand that he deserves to live, he deserves to survive just like everyone else. And how that period of time when he was surrounded by other people that are raising him up and he feels so empowered and supported even when he has everyday dealings with people who don't tolerate and who don't see him. But all that is gone now. Now he is going to try to keep himself as small as he can, as invisible as he can, hiding so that he doesn't get rung up into the concentration camp because that is his other choice. But perhaps, perhaps there is a third choice. And this is the story of what he goes through to realize that maybe there is something else that he can do. It is a very hard book to read. It's very brutal. It is raw. Catherine Hernandez does not mince words. She's not interested in mincing words either. And I think she has no interest in, in making sure people feel, feel comfortable and, and, and all of that. It is hard to read, but it's also a very beautiful book. It's, it's very hopeful in some ways because Catherine Hernandez is telling us that we could change. We don't have to be this way. There is something that we could do. If we are willing to try to understand what being an ally means, then we don't have to have this. The way we are going right now, this is going to be our future and we don't have to be that. We just have to learn to move aside and support what they call the others, support them and, and be there to uplift them and, and shine the spotlight on them. And this, whatever that happens in the book, doesn't have to happen. 
she's also very clear. This is not a fictional story. This is not something that, oh, you know, like in like many, many years later, this could be now if we don't do anything. So again, the book is called Crosshairs by Catherine Hernandez. And I'm just going to leave you with the author's note in the beginning, because um, I think this really is really powerful. And, and I think that prepares us in reading the book. To the people of privilege, you will survive your discomfort while reading this book. But many like me, who sit dangerously at various intersections of identity, will not survive long enough for you to complete the last page. What will you do? Thank you for shining a spotlight on that book, Virginia. It's so, the, the trade paperback is a baffling cover for the content and they they don't even look like they're the same book like you if you put those two books together without the title without the author I would never imagine they were the same genre of book and the other one is just so much more powerful when you look at the other cover and and I'm sorry that I went on like forever but this book was just so I realized I'm like oh my gosh like well, how long did I talk for but this book was just so it it really, I feel like I learned so much from it. It's a story, but it's as strong as any nonfiction that's out there about what, what I should go and do now. Like, you know, and I feel like this is what great stories do. And, and that really makes you want to go act and do something about this. It's so important to, to make sure that the other people be seen. And I think there's a lot of like that, that word is used a lot throughout the book. It's like, you know, I see you. And I think that's such an important thing that we can say. So, yeah. So often like trade paperbacks are what you'd call like an airport audience, like that your average person will kind of like go across and pick it up. But it's so strange that like something that's like a handmaiden's tale read alike comes off looking like a sweet domestic fiction, like very weird choice, weird choice. And all the 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 also central part about how how powerful the the being a drag queen is and how empowering that is for for Kay in the book like it's like it's totally lost in this like you know in the other one it's clear like this is like lost I, and I don't know why why it makes me kind of angry too like I feel like the book is gonna get lost with such a like terrible cover like I would never pick that up. <laughs> I wonder though if it will inspire like if it will catch people who would not otherwise read a book that followed that type of story because of the cover and I'm not sure if that's good or bad but like you said Kareem like if it's an airport kind of style book like you can imagine someone picking it up to read on the plane and then maybe like thinking that it's something else but because well, I don't have anything else to read so I'm just going to commit to this one and then reading something that maybe they they needed and wouldn't have picked up otherwise. I mean, best case scenario, yes. But if there anything, like I think most of our panel <laughs> who feel betrayed when we pick up a book and the cover is, it's telling a totally different story. Like they made rage quit out. It's fair. That's fair. That's true. All right. Well, thank you, Virginia. Um, I think I will go next because I've got my beret on and I'm ready. Um, the book that I wanted to talk about, I feel like, I had a really hard time getting into because of the cover and because of the art style inside of it. It took me a really, really long time to warm up to this book. It took me a really long time to read it because I kept looking at it and going, 
uh, I don't have any clothes that match it. So that was very difficult. But it is a book that is really, really well worth reading once you can kind of get over the cover and once you can kind of get over the very specific art style that the author chose. It is a book by a novelist, uh, Mira Jacob, whose parents were um, immigrants from India to America. I think uh, in the book, she says they arrived the day after Martin Luther King was assassinated. So that was their introduction to their new country. And it kind of follows Mira's journey as a child in a kind of overwhelmingly white town to her time at university going through her various relationships until she eventually marries a white man. And then after the birth of her child and when her child starts asking questions about America, about race, about his parents, and then kind of all of this kicks off with the 2016 election of Donald Trump and how scared um, herself and her friends are about their life. This is the book Good Talk by Mira Jacob. Mira is the author of The Sleepwalker's Guide to Dancing. She writes for a lot of magazines, including the New York Times Book Review, Vogue, Glamour, Electric Literature, and Literary Hub. Um, She is a very, very accomplished writer. And so it kind of surprised me to learn that she was doing a graphic novel. Because usually it's the other way around, like a graphic novelist or illustrator will decide that they have a long story to tell. But she kind of went about it in a different way. And it really reminded me of R.J. Placco, who wrote Wonder, who also decided to do a graphic novel, um, Whitebird, and I think they actually applied the same style of art. So essentially, faces are traced, and then the same picture of that person is used throughout the entire graphic novel. So facial expressions, you've got one, and it doesn't matter what the people are saying or what situation they're in. It's still the same picture of them. Fiona, I see you shaking your head. Yeah. I'm just cringing so hard. Oh. Yeah. It's, it, it was a bit hard to get into as a person who really is attracted to the illustration part of graphic novels to read a graphic novel that really wasn't overly concerned with the art. And I feel like this was maybe a choice because it makes you focus on the dialogue or the good talk. So these are kind of conversations from Mira Jacobs' life about, you know, the microaggressions that she started experiencing as as a young child, um, the racism within her own community where she goes back to India when she's five years old and her grandmother gives her a, uh, a skin bleaching cream because she feels like she's too dark. It kind of goes through the different stresses of being an interracial relationship with a white man and him not understanding what her life is like and, and, you know, her trying to navigate her life as, you know, like the the child of immigrants, as an East Indian American, and, you know, as a person of color in a society that expects certain things from her and is upset when it doesn't get it. But I think the most powerful thing um, and what I really admire her honesty of is 
when she talks about the relationship with race about her kid, it's so, it's so funny because he approaches it from someone totally new without understanding it. And she starts to realize like the, the depth of how race affects every single part of her life and eventually his life. Things like, oh, so dad is white. Yes. Has dad always been white? Yes. Did he get to choose when he was born what color he was going to be? Did you choose for me to be brown? Like he just has this this wonderful, wonderful um, kind of like innocence about trying to figure out the world and his place in it. And it it is such an interesting, wonderful, kind of heart-rending book that I cannot recommend enough once you kind of get over the art style, but the art style forces you to just focus on the dialogue because (laughs) there's not a lot to look at visually. So you're forced to look at the dialogue, which is a good technique. That's what that, that, I'm trying to convince you to read this book because I know when you open it up, it's going to be tough. But I swear to goodness, it's it's totally worth it. You'll come away with your mind kind of spinning and thinking different things. I don't think it's a great cover. I think it's a little bit too busy. It's really hard to see the details because it's kind of her as she's like from a young child, as she ages into kind of where she is now. And I, I feel like you kind of miss that until you look really, really close at the cover. I felt like it could have been a little bit more cleverly done. Um, it just looks like a really bland book and, and it isn't, it isn't, it's a great, interesting, meaty book with a bad cover and, and not the most accessible art of any graphic novel that I have read, but I think it's on purpose. I think it's choice. I think it's a choice. Yes. Good talk. Mira Jacob. Maybe we can read it like as if we're reading a play. No, like just think about the dialogue and people saying it. Yeah, I I honestly think the graphic novel would be a or no, sorry the audio book would be really good. I just you don't I, get to see the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I I meant to look up some interviews with Mir Jacobs because I'm like, why did you choose this format for this? And maybe it is like at sometimes it's really affecting, but at other times like it's it's a hard read because it's like the same visual over a couple of pages and like I don't know why I don't know why but I really enjoyed it but it did I will admit it took me a hard time it took me a long time to get into it long time all right so that is my very very good book that I I feel like I slagged on pretty hard (laughs) it's really good it's essential reading so great just just like put some stuff aside and you'll really enjoy it (sighs) all right Sadie Sadie rescue us rescue us give us a good book with a bad cover (laughs) okay so I'm going to make a confession to everyone um, that will lead into the talking about this book Um, I struggle quite a bit on this book chat sometimes because I have placed so much judgment on my own book choices that I am constantly worried that I'm going to bring a book onto this book chat that's going to be terrible. 
that's going to be absolutely terrible. Everyone's going to say they hated it. Everyone is going to tell me it was a terrible book and I have horrible taste in books. So this is the fear that I've had since we started doing this book chat. Um, so with when I was trying to find a book for this category, this fear came back tenfold where I'm like, hey, I can find a, a cover that I don't like, but then will the book choice be good enough to talk about on this book chat? Like, will this book actually be a good book or will this book match the cover and everyone will think that this is a terrible, terrible book? Um, so this is just my own personal concerns. So I eventually just decided to go with a book that I enjoyed. I really liked this book. <laughs> and despite what other people might think about it, I really liked this book. So I decided to talk about it. Um, and the cover goes back a little bit to what I was saying I really dislike in book covers when they have a random woman standing in some sort of pose. I mean, in this one, she has a gun. So like, I feel like we should play a game with this, with these book covers where we show the book cover and we ask people, what do you think this book is about? What do you think is going on in this book? Um, so this is Exit Strategy by one of my favorite authors, Kelly Armstrong. So this book revolves around Nadia. Nadia is 32 years old and Nadia grew up in Canada in a very justice-based family, for lack of a better term. Um, her entire family were cops and she grew up surrounded by police officers. That was sort of her plan in life was to become a police officer as well. And this was spurred on even further when her and um, her cousin were teenagers and her cousin is murdered. So she decides that, okay, she's going to become a cop and she's going to figure out what happened to her cousin. This is kind of her life plan is she's going to finally be able to figure out what happened to her cousin. So she trains, she becomes a police officer. And once she's there, she starts to realize the limitations and the fact that there are often people who get away with things that they should not get away with. And the limitations of herself, the limitations of the law, um, the limitations of the people who uphold the law. And so she decides in an inst in one moment to take matters into her own hands. And she shoots and kills a suspect. Because of this, she is released from the police department. Um, she's told that she is no longer uh, wanted. She is retired. And so she leaves she goes and opens up an outdoor travel lodge in kind of in the forest in Canada and so she is running this lodge the idea is that she's providing that true outdoor experience for for people who want to come come to the wilderness and go fishing and go hiking and go hunting and do all of these outdoor things she has provided this opportunity for them but the lodge is not doing very well and so Nadia has taken on a side business. Six years ago, when the lodge was almost bankrupt, she was approached by a member of the mafia and he had a job. He needed one of his rivals to be killed. And he asked if Nadia would do it. So Nadia's side job is she is a hit woman. She is a killer for hire and she mainly works for crime families who are trying to take out other crime families. 
Uh, so this is her side job. It pulls in enough money so that she can maintain her lodge. She can keep working, uh, doing what she loves to do, but still is able to kind of play out her vigilante justice in ways um, that she was never allowed to. So she's just kind of going along with her life until a series of murders start to happen. And these murders are very, very familiar to a hitman. And so she is approached as a hit woman and she is approached to figure out what is going on and track down the killer um, who is kind of systematically killing off these people. So this is, a, this is the start of a series. It is very suspenseful, very action-packed. Her kind of trying to f- come to terms with the choices that she has made while also come to terms with the choices that she is still making. Uh, She struggles with the idea of killing people and yet she continues doing it. And she kind of has to question that in herself. Eventually the story does take us back to what happened with her cousin. And she starts to realize that there was more involved in the murder of her cousin uh, than anyone thought there was, that she thought there was, and that in her current position, she might now be able to figure out what happened to her cousin and finally take justice on the person or the people who killed her cousin. Just very kind of fun, thrilling, suspenseful uh, series by Kelly Armstrong, who is one of my favorite authors. Canadian takes place, um, her lodges in Canada. So it does have that Canadian connection there as well. Um, but with a cover that I just, I just hate. I just, I just don't like, what is that? What is that? She's a sexy Pia. Right? Like, <sighs> I really want the lodge to be on the cover. Why is the yeah. lodge not on the cover? That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I saw it and I thought spy. This is a spy novel mm, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least they have the gun, I guess. But I feel like if they're representing her in her line of work, nobody, no hit woman stands leaning against a wall holding her gun like that. No one. That would be a terrible hit woman thing to do. <laughs> It just, you would be caught right away, right? Like, kind of a dead giveaway. Yeah. That is kind of a dead giveaway. Perfect. All right. Thank you, Sadie, for that very bad cover. Um, that, that was perfect. 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 All right. Well, we have seen the bad and we're about halfway through. So let's see some good. I want to see a good cover from everyone. I want, I want to know why you think it's a good cover And we are going to start with Liz. Liz, what's your good cover? What's Liz's good cover? Well, I I couldn't pick just one. Um, So I brought you three, but I'll be quick about it. So um, two of them. I like these covers so much that I've displayed them on my um, picture ledge in the back. So one is Bibliophile by Jane Mount. So with the lovely embossing on it, nice hardcover. And it's about books. Nice colors, easy on the eyes, um, and then also nice tasteful use of gold embossing, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse by Charlie McKeezy. So all of the characters there, again, nice, simple cover. All the characters are there. What you see is what you get. And then something a little different in this book of Japanese short stories. So this is an example of how it's sort of a nondescript generic kind of a book. It is various authors with different um, stories that take place in different parts of Japan. 
But this kind of a scene is really iconic. You have this train going through the countryside. It's very non-offensive. The colors are soothing. And it kind of makes me think, oh, if I pick up this book, then, you know, I am going to have a very comfortable read. So highly non-offensive, <laughs> non-polarizing. I'm happy with that. It has a real mood to it. Like it gives you like, just like a sense of like, like serenity and like travel. Yeah. And I also like that both of your other ones are just shiny. Yes. Pretty, pretty shiny things. Oh, I got to jump in here with some controversy. (gasps) I like, okay. So I like, I bow to Liz in all things like aesthetic and like style wise, like Liz has amazing taste and like, uh, excellent design sense. I just finished The Boy, The Mole, etc. Beautiful, <laughs> lovely book. I actually really hate the cover. It's not, it's the composition. It's that like centralized composition. And I mean, it is very like representative of what's inside the book, but it just like, because of the like, uh, I don't know what, what the word is. like Rush the, painting-ish. Yeah, it's just so up, unsubstantial. Like, it, and I feel like it, you know, it's kind of trying to hark, like, it gives you that Pooh Bear vibe. Like, um, you know, you've got some of those, like, Milne books that just have poo on the front. Um, but I don't know, there's just something about that, like, like putting it in the center that the, the cover, I really dislike it. Now fight. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, Fiona. It is very subjective. And yeah, if you have read the book, then you probably have strong opinions on the book and what your kind of vision should be on the cover. So I can respect that. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Now let's judge Fiona's choice then. Okay. All right. So I do have really specific things that I like in a book cover. Like there's all sorts of stuff outside of it that I like. Like, you know, sometimes there's uh, a fad in things and it's very much like specific of a time where there's one great book cover and then everyone starts following it. And some of those are beautiful and I really like them, but I like a timeless cover with strong reduced palette. So choosing like a couple colors and going with that. Uh, as librarians, we have all had the people who come in and say, I want the red book. I want the red book. And you're like... There's so many red books, but for me, there's a strong, uh, like colors are are a big part of memory. And I do like that when there's a really strong association of like a specific color to a book and they continue it onto the spine. Um, And like I said, I also really like uh, artistic portraits on covers of characters, not photos, but drawings or whatever. So uh, what I have chosen today is an edition of Obasan. Uh, and of course, it is actually illustrated by Jillian Tamaki, um, who is one of my faves. Um, and I, I just really like the reduced color palettes, strong color choices. We really only have black, white, red, and yellow in here. Um, but it's still just beautiful to look at. Um, kind of a fun cover for a book that has had many covers, many of which I'm pretty sure have like a similar thing, but like cropped here and of a real person, which I just think are awful. 
<laughs> this is hard though because when I think about Obasan, I have that very distinct cover in mind. Like I like so to me, that's what that cover should be, and then everything else seems wrong to me. Not saying that it's aesthetically better or not, but it's just. But that's the cover. What are you doing with that? Why are you doing a different one? Like it just feels weird. So it yeah. becomes wrong for me because of that. That's that's totally fair. I hadn't really thought about that because there are some books that have like even like some books that they're old books, they get so many covers and you're like, whatever, it can be whatever on it. But some that that actually get that consistency and you really get that strong association. Like I hate the Great Gatsby cover, but if it changes, I'll be like, what? That's not Great Gatsby. I hate that cover so much. That cover scares me. Hate it, hate it, hate <laughs> it. But that is Great Gatsby, right? Like that is Great Gatsby. So anything else, even though it might look better, I'll just be like, mm, that's wrong. Yeah, what's the... There's, there's a new uh, book, I didn't read it, but following another character in Great Gatsby, and it draws from the same cover, and it was a really good like visual clue of like, I know exactly what this book is. And I'm not going to read it because of that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So, Virginia, you know what is right or what is wrong, but what is right? What is right, Virginia? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what is right because I look at like, you're like, oh, go just pick one. I'm like, no, because I think one of the things I have to say about fantasy covers are very often they're very, very, many of them could be very generic. They all kind of like, it could apply to any book. So I don't generally find them have a super good cover. And they're all kind of like these people in like weird, like hoots and they're kind of like have this cape and then you just so I don't know I think it's kind of like Fiona I kind of lean towards the simple cover that are more like illustrated and just simple fo- there's a focus to the rules. so of all the ones I can find again not particularly good but it's just like it kind of illustrates what I kind of like about covers it's just very like simple striking and I think because I'm showing like much to my husband is this a bad cover is this a bad cover like yeah, for this episode right and he was like no it's not but you can't really see the word but I'm like kind of like but that's kind of the points of the story because when you mentioned about like in your story that they they have this like cream that makes your skin whiter like that's kind of what this book is about so I can see I see why it's not you're not supposed to see the title very well so I kind of feel like that was more appropriate that way so it's not it's not particularly good but it's closer to what I think I like about covers is when they are just simple and just more striking. I apologize for how much angst that this uh, topic has caused everyone. I, I feel like people went through like an existential crisis with it, didn't know what was up, what was down. You knew exactly what you were doing, Kareen. I did. Well, again, I'm the only one currently wearing an art beret. So maybe if you'd had the proper headwear you would feel differently. Um, for my good cover, I am actually going to do one of Iona Wishaw's books, um, Killer in King's Cove. The entire series has this um, very specific illustration. And I feel like as like a cozy mystery reader, as just like a mystery reader in general, this gives such a good sense of what the book is about. It's going to be pretty quiet. There's not going to be a lot of violence. It's going to be pretty chill. And it also kind of gives you a sense of the time that it's happening with like the little antique car in the background. And there's going to be a lot about nature. So it kind of like tells you what you're getting into. It's just like, it's iconic because it kind of pops in like a line of other mystery novels. 
And it's just kind of like gives you a mood. The mood is like, oh, someone's going to get killed, but I'm not going to be too fussed about it. It's so important for series, right? Because you want people to be recognized. Oh, yeah, that's a new one. Like, so it has to have that continuation. And that's the other thing, too. When publisher, again, they like halfway through the series, they decide to change the cover. And then they go like, I'm like, why? Why would you do that? And now suddenly all the books at the libraries don't match anymore. And that drives me crazy. It's unacceptable. <sighs> unacceptable. Anyways, um, Sadie, what's your good, good cover? So I am drawn to colors in a lot of ways. And so this book, I was immediately drawn to uh, when I saw it. Um, I was immediately drawn to it when I saw it in one of my classes at um, in my master's. Uh, there was examples of kind of YA books. And I just loved, loved, loved the color scheme on it. So this one, I have like, I read this book mainly because of the cover uh, because I thought that it was, I can't tell if Karina is agreeing with me or really, really disagreeing with me from her facial expressions. I can't tell. Um, <laughs> but yes, that is my choice. <laughs> I hate the cover of that book. I love the color scheme, but I don't think that the illustration is particularly good. Fair, fair. And, and it's a great book. Like it clips. And I really like, um, it's Tracy Chi, right? Tracy Chi. Yes. yes. Who um, did We Are Not Free, which I loved. Like, I love their writing so much that I just don't feel like that's a good enough cover for the level of writing. Everyone has their own opinion. Fair enough. Well, we all bow to Liz in all things aesthetic. So, Liz, what is your bad cover? I know what you're talking about. And Actually, this whole episode has made me question all of my life choices, all of my book cover choices, all my aesthetic choices. We we can see your beautiful display. We can see your display. We know you've got you've got a much better like Zoom background than any of us. So the cat the cat stuff helps. I feel. I mean, because cats, right? But um, this book that I will share with you today does not have anything to do with cats. And actually, I was very surprised by this bad book cover choice, which I totally agonized over because, of course, the book should be good if we're going to be recommending it, or at least, you know, we should enjoy the book, which, you know, then it has some merit, right? Right? Well, usually I find that if you're pitting book covers from the UK versus book covers for the North American market against each other, a lot of the time when you kind of go, who wore it better? A lot of the time, the UK book covers are more fashionable. However, in this case, they totally dropped the ball on this one. Now, the book is called To Be Taught, If Fortunate, and it is by Becky Chambers. Uh, she's an LGBTQ author. She writes sci-fi. Fantastic. Now, this is a novella, and I'm going to show you the um, North American cover first. How about that? So the North American cover is a uh, beautiful, if rather nondescript planetary landscape with a giant sun, kind of this monochromatic color palette. Can't get that phrase on my head, color palette, oranges, reds, citrusy, but beautiful nonetheless. So that's part of the reason why I ended up picking up this book at the library. This is the cover for the edition that we have here at the, at the Port Moody Library. Now, to go to the UK cover, this is what you get. So, okay, space is beautiful. You've got all the stars. You've got 
you know, fairly soothing colors. And then what, what is this? What is this? Okay. So you have what's assumed to be the protagonist and it's like some weird, you know, sexy dime store novel riff on Princess Leia from The Empire Strikes Back. Um, totally impractical, you know, can she breathe out in space now? She's got like some, I don't even know what that is, like hip pack, fanny pack thing. She's got little space slippers on, like the onesie, the space onesie that's skin tight. I mean, highly impractical and completely misleading as to what this book is actually about. To go back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, maybe these covers are created so as to target a particular market. Is it to target the, maybe the traditional sci-fi reader, you know, the cis male? Going for this hot chick here? I don't know. But, you know, hey, if it draws them to the book and they give it a chance, I guess that's great. But if this cover was what was on our copy, I probably would not have picked this up at all. That being said, this is a wonderful book. The contents are great. Again, it's a novella. It's about four astronauts that are on a miss mission to research four different planets that are spread very far apart. Um, it's somewhere in the not too distant future uh, where space travel has had advancements where you can sleep in those long planetary voyages, interplanetary voyages, and there's what's called soma forming. So essentially the astronauts human biology can be altered depending on the characteristics of each planet that they visit. So for example, bones being able to withstand higher gravity, um, being able to absorb radiation so that the nutrition, it, it develops nutrition that your body can intake and therefore thrive. So this story actually focuses around one of the four and it's an engineer named Ariana O'Neill. Ironically, in an interview with the Irish Times, she said that she wanted to create a story about real people in space, which back to that cover, that doesn't really look like real people to me, at least nobody that I know. Anyways, the title to be taught if fortunate comes from a quote from the then UN Secretary General uh, from 1977. And he said, we step out of our solar system into the universe, seeking only peace and friendship to teach if we are called upon to be taught if we are fortunate. Now, that quote right there kind of gives you an indication as to the tone of the book, which totally does not match the UK cover. Essentially, within this novella, the four astronauts in Ariana's team lose contact with Earth. And they need to make a decision as to whether they are going to continue on their mission out in space, just the four of them, or if they will return home to uncertain conditions. Is there even an Earth to go back to? They don't really know this. So this, this novel is quite um, cerebral, but in an unpretentious way. Um, it, it's, very, it's very human, uh, and you, you kind of encounter the thoughts of Ariadne, um, her deep thoughts as she's in this situation, and it kind of makes you imagine um, what it would feel like, you know, if if your home was destroyed, or maybe not, if your home was in um, uncertainty, would you continue on with what your life's work was, or would you risk everything to see what happened? So again, good book, bad, bad UK cover, great North American cover, which... Let's just leave on a 
High note, shall we, to be taught if fortunate by Becky Chambers. That is so strange because as you say, Liz, an amazing point that the UK covers are usually better than the North American one, but that UK cover has so much butt in it. Like just a weird amount of butt. So many crevices and curves and just, it's not necessary. We don't, when I was reading the book, I had no idea what she looked like. I didn't care. I didn't even think about what she looked like. It was literally life or death. Do I go home? Is there a home? Do we die if we go home? Kind of important. Anyways. Yeah, the fact that like her butt doesn't factor like heavily into the story, that's pretty misleading. Like, (laughs) Not that I recall. No, no. Yeah, so many great quotes from this episode that I could use for the intro for this podcast. Like this butt quote, the curved quote. Oh, I'm so excited. Happy to serve. (laughs) We live to make your editing job easier, Virginia. (laughs) all right fiona take us home i know that you struggled with this i know that you do and so what did you land on uh fiona what was the worst cover so i landed on some bad cover uh and some non-essential reading Uh, we've heard of a lot of great books today um and this one is sort of just a fun mystery i actually have no idea how it got onto my radar um but i have a guess that it is from the current cover that we have at our library which is fairly nice so my book is the beekeeper's apprentice by Lori r king and um i do have a thing for bees so uh i am i'm guessing that this is why it drew my attention. I have been reading more mysteries. In particular, um, my partner and I listen to a lot of cozy mysteries together now. Uh, So that is how I listen to this one. But as I was looking for a book for this episode, I came across this. uh, So this book, it was published in 1994. And I came across the 2002 paperback edition featuring many of the things that that we have pointed out as not liking in a cover. So first of all, what a murky color palette. What even? Like, I see some green, but like, what is this dark figure? I've been genuinely trying to figure out what this, oops, little like piece of light is here. This like little light green shimmering on her pocket. I think it's nothing. Um, I'm pretty sure. And it also, for me, it features a face. And although it is a painting, it's very kind of like photorealistic, paints the character in uh, a particular way. And the thing is, I have no idea what character that is. It just, it doesn't fit the description of who the book is about. Uh, We've got this little town in the background and like it maybe gives a sense of the time, which is like 1915, it's wartime, it's England. I'm not really getting that. I'm getting something a bit older uh, from, from this background. It just says nothing at all about the actual book. And I can see it like, it seems like something that you would see in a drugstore and you'd like pick it up because you we're waiting to get your prescription and you have literally nothing else to do. (laughs) So what is this book actually about? This book is a later telling, picking up the thread of Sherlock Holmes. And it is about his new apprentice, Mary Russell. 
Mary Russell is a young woman whose parents recently died in an accident, and she has uh, been trusted to the care of her horrible aunt. Lucky for her, her parents did leave her an estate, and she's sort of going to be taken care of. She just has to get through the years where her horrible aunt is her guardian until she can come into her own and be her own financial boss, <laughs> take care of her own finances. Luckily for her, during that difficult period, she makes a friend. Now, this friend just so happens to be Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> As you do, you know. Um, and so... Despite their wide age gap, Sherlock Holmes finds an equal in Mary Russell. You know, after he's been retired at this point, he's sort of just writing his book and sort of done with life. A lot of the spark has gone out of him. Uh, however, when he meets Mary Russell, it reignites that spark. He finds an equal, someone worth teaching, and they build this wonderful fr friendship they solve a few different mysteries together um, in the beginning until they get to the bigger mystery, uh, which they work on together. But the book is really about uh, their dynamic, and it does focus particularly on Mary Russell and sort of what it's like to learn from the great Sherlock Holmes. I'm not always a fan of people writing other people's characters, but certainly Sherlock Holmes, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's it's something, it can be like a lifelong relationship that you have. Uh, and, you know, maybe you watch uh, some of the TV shows. Uh, there's so many adaptations. So it's kind of neat to have another way to delve back into that once you've read all the original Sherlock Holmes. And it was cool to sort of see this different perspective because uh, Mary Russell has read all of these books that Watson has written about Sherlock Holmes, but there is a lot of Watson bashing in this book. Uh, and we get to see how Sherlock is actually different than um, how Watson, uh, Conan Doyle has written. So definitely fun if you like mysteries, if you uh, like Sherlock Holmes and you want to explore that character a little bit further, a little bit further in the future. Warning, there's some not very tasteful things uh, in the book, just a few, uh, you know, ethnic stereotypes and things like that, that, that really uh, rubbed me the wrong way. But if you're looking for a pretty relaxed mystery with an English setting, this is a great book to pick up. Just don't pick up the 20 or the 2002 edition. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona. And that series is such like a fascinating example because I think it was published in the 90s that it's gone through like a couple decades of like what a cover sh should look like. And they've reprinted them so you can kind of see the different styles that were popular back then. Lady with her back staring over her shoulder to more like artsy interpretive to I think her covers right now kind of look more like a... Um, like a Lauren Willig book than they do a mystery book. So it's very interesting to see like in a particular series, how things evolved. And unfortunately for Virginia and the rest of a series people, they all look totally different. So it's hard to get a perfect set. I was going to say there's like 26 of them or something. Right. And I'm sure they're all different, like shapes and sizes and it's just a mess. Yeah. And they're still going and they are still going. So thank you so much for joining us, whether you had on your art beret or not. 
we all have different ideas of what makes a good cover or a bad cover, but you shouldn't let that stop you. As we have shown today, we've got five different excellent books that we suggest that maybe you just buy a little like cover protector for them or design your own cover with a little piece of paper, you know, an arts project so that you can enjoy these books unadulterated by their bad outside wrappers. Well, let us know which books you think have a horrid cover, but are well worth reading for all of your fellow book lovers in the comments below. Thank you so much for listening slash viewing, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Thank mm-hmm. you.